Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff so much. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news meshed together in new ways, which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be looking at healthcare monopolies. Today's episode is sponsored by the Expo.Health Conference, which is happening July 31st to August 2nd, 2019 in Boston. Learn more at www.expo.health. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 13 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. You ready to talk about monopolies? Yeah, John, this uh, <laughs> should be a very interesting episode today. We're talking about something that's ripped from the headlines. I'm looking forward to it. So <laughs> the topic nice. is, you know, the recent uh, charges laid by the FTC against SureScripts for monopolistic e-prescribing practices. So that's the main focus of today's conversation. We're going to talk about what it is, where this could lead, should interoperability be a monopoly, and what does this mean for all of health IT. And then we're going to close today with a new special section where we've asked our friends on Twitter to basically ask you and I any question they want, and we will try anything. to tackle it on literally our podcast. Anything. <laughs> literally, literally anything. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll be a kind of interesting uh, way to close off today's episode. So, uh, John, why don't we just dive right in, and why don't you tell us a little bit about what that story was around this uh, Surescripts charges from the ST FTC? Yeah, and I, I think we were, we were supposed to say alleged uh, charges, right? Yeah, uh, right. We right. can incorporate that into all, all of these things. Uh, they've alleged certain things and they have charged. Uh, uh, but, you know, essentially what happened is the FTC is suing SureScripts and alleging that the company employed some illegal practices that created a, a monopoly for them in the e-prescribing market. And they broke it into two sections. One is the routing of e-prescriptions that they created contracts and other things that essentially created monopolies for them and prevented other competition from taking part in the routing of e-prescriptions and then also in the access to eligibility uh, because they have an eligibility tool as well that works with the e-prescribing are they eligible for prescriptions etc so that those are the charges against them and they talked about a whole series of anti-competitive contracts and practices that SureScripts employed that uh, caused this monopoly if you will the this monopolistic uh, practice to occur and prevent other people from doing it it's it's a really interesting case on a, on a number of levels uh, the the most interesting thing i think for most of us is, that work in this industry is well, yeah, I mean, everyone knows that if you want to e-prescribe, you have to use SureScripts. So, I mean, like on its face, most of us in the industry are like, yeah, we knew SureScripts had a monopoly uh, on this. Uh, you know, the question is, were they monopolistic practices? Did they get a monopoly by some other means? Did they prevent them? And I think the one that's probably gotten the most attention, and, you know, they actually even replied to this, is – Many of their contracts were exclusive contracts with different prescribers and different organizations like that. And what's interesting in SureScript's reply is they, you know, of course, said that they didn't, you know, have these monopolistic practices, but they they did see in some of their contracts where they had 
these uh, this contract language that was exclusive, and they've decided to take that out of the contract. Which, of course, as a consumer, looks at it like, well, if you took it out, why were you doing that? Uh, you know, I'm sure their answer would be that from an abundance of caution, we want to avoid having that language in there, right? That it's not actually monopolistic, which is a legal question, and not necessarily, you know, which I, I which I'm not a lawyer, you're not a lawyer, so I don't think we're going to answer that here. But it was interesting that they chose to take it out. And I argued when I, you know, wrote about this on Healthcare IT Today. I argued, well, uh, does that language matter once you have the monopoly? <laughs> you right. know, if you've already created the monopoly, sure, I'm happy to rip out that language because I already have you locked in, so I don't need the language anymore. So, you know, that's kind of an overview. Uh, I'm not sure if you, you what you thought of it or any perspectives you took. No, I, I I was only shocked in the sense of the FTC laying, you know, even initiating this in the first place. Um, Usually, uh, you know, the way that other uh, charges like this have come about is usually there's a long period of investigation and all these things, and usually something is leaked. I did not hear anything about this at all uh, through the rumor mills or anything. So for me, it was more of a surprise. And that's really my only comment on it. And I, I, I got to be honest, I've just been starting to unpack all the details of it. It's fascinating to see. Uh, and that's part of what the, today's discussion is going to be like. But but John, why don't we start with that first question? So thanks for describing uh, what happened, the Scripps, uh, you know, alleged uh, monopolistic practices. But where could this lead? Now that this has sort of happened, uh, where, where, what's going to what's going to happen from this point forward? Yeah, so I, I think there's one other wrinkle that's worth mentioning too, and that, that SureScripts is funded and created by a bunch of PBMs. So that adds another layer of intrigue and complexity. Uh, you know, I quoted in the article, I think it was at Adrian Groper who said, that, you know, I'm going to bow out on discussing this one because there is a, a whole series of complex arrangements between pharmacies, between pharma, between SureScripts, between the PBMs, the you know, like there's this this mesh and even providers that are all part of it that make it a really complicated case. Uh, but I think where does it lead? The FTC seems to insinuate that uh, these monopolistic practices aren't okay and that there needs to be a free market system for this type of e-prescribing that needs to happen. And, you know, if I'm being honest, I have a feeling it's going to be a hand slap to SureScripts and they probably aren't going to be able to do certain things going forward or they may have some regulations about how much they can charge for certain things. But I'll be surprised if the FDC gets a fully unregulated market and, and more importantly, does anyone else want to enter that market and try to compete with SureScripts? Uh, I know AllScripts was mentioned as someone who had tried and kind of been denied. So I think it will be interesting to see how they play into this. Uh, but my gut feeling tells me it's going to be a hand slap, some sort of fine, some oversight going forward. And that's probably where it's going to end up. But, uh, you know, obviously it's legal, so it's a little hard to predict. Yeah, for me, I'm going to say a slightly different uh, approach to answering this question. For me, I think it'll lead to something you alluded to, John, which is I think it will shed some light or put a spotlight on an area of healthcare that doesn't get a lot of spotlight and, and mm. probably people wanted it that way because it is quite complicated. And if you're a sort of a casual person who you know doesn't really follow healthcare a lot, 
this could just sort of represent everything that's wrong with healthcare, right? Where you have PBMs and pharmacies and pharma companies all sort of, it'll sound like they're colluding. Uh, and in some ways that, you know, uh, they're working together, I'll definitely say that, but it could look like collusion if put that in that light in the press. So I think once the press gets a hold of this, uh, once, you know, you, people start unpacking the nature of the relationships, I think it'll just look bad for everybody. And I think that will lead to some new change, maybe not necessarily for SureScripts and the way SureScripts works exactly, but I think definitely uh, there'll be more eyes on this area of healthcare for a little while. And I think that will cause uh, at least some behavior change with some of the higher uh, profile players who don't want this black mark on them. Yeah, it just raises the question though, is it so complex that it actually won't hit the mainstream where, you know, it's so hard to explain these these relationships and these contracts that, it, you know, it will be difficult for ABC News or whoever to, to unpack it. And, you know, it might might reach one headline, you know, they colluded or they have created a monopoly and they're broken up, uh, you know, which but it's hard to imagine it going beyond that. But I think you're right. It it does illustrate the complexity of healthcare and the complexity of the problem, which ironically, if you would have asked me two weeks ago, said, where is interoperability working the best? I think one of my answers would probably be prescriptions. So, you, you know, which actually really goes to our, our next topic for, for this uh, episode. And that is, you know, is it good for it to be a monopoly? Because if I'm essentially arguing that the one place, in fact, I've heard doctors argue this on, on Twitter in response to this news, they're like, oh, sure, let's, you know, sue an organization that's actually accomplished interoperability, unlike every other effort to do interoperability <laughs> in healthcare. Let's sue the one organization that's been successful. You know, that they got a point, right? Um, but should it be a monopoly, right? And what's your take on that? Uh, well, I mean, half of me says, look, monopolies are usually bad, um, mostly because the temptation for somebody in the monopoly to do something with all of that power, with all of the clout they have is too great. And I think just there are enough people that will cave into it or enough companies, shareholder pressure, whatever you call it, who will, you know, maybe they might start acting out of a good you know, good-heartedly, but then it inevitably ends up being where they abuse the monopoly. So the the capitalist in me says monopolies are bad, uh, except the game. But monopolies generally are bad. <laughs> uh, the other part of me, though, does go to what you just said, John, where, you know, there is something to be said when there's one company who was able to establish a standard, a universal standard at that, and then bring order to all of this chaos, Right. I mean, that's a big, huge problem in healthcare. We're spending billions on to try and do that. This company, SureScript, managed to do that in the e-prescribing world by essentially becoming the dominant player, right? So on the other half of me says, well, if that's what it takes, then isn't that a far better investment than spending billions to try to solve this problem in another area? Just sort of let someone become the dominant player and poof, look, we have one standard. So, well, there's two there's two sides of that that become challenging. One is they weren't 100% interoperable even in e-prescribing, and were they holding out smaller players in a way, or did they have practices that prevented smaller players from participating in this this you know interoperability framework for e-prescribing? You know, that's one question that hopefully this case will bring to light. Uh, and then the second one is, are they you know, which I think is your point, are they doing what's in the best interest of 
the people in general or will eventually someone come along that's going to take it and corrupt it uh, you know I, I think that's been proven over and over again that if you give enough time then it will be corrupted uh, that's the kind of the capitalistic system but I actually think maybe monopoly is the wrong word for this and maybe we should ask the question should interoperability be a utility so think about our utilities uh, in most uh, areas or a lot of areas the utilities are essentially a, a, an allowed monopoly, but with a lot of government oversight so that they uh, you know, keep the prices at certain levels and different things like that. And obviously that's a complex area as well. I mean, we just went through that here in Nevada where the electricity is a monopoly, but um, and it's owned by, by Berkshire Hathaway, <laughs> interestingly enough. And there were many people, including the casinos and these big data centers that were saying, hey, let's deregulate this and let's create some competition because that would be more valuable. And I think we've seen pros and cons on both sides, right? As a monopoly, the utility just keeps going up because they keep adding, you know, the oversight says, oh, the cost must go higher, you know, so competition doesn't prevent that from happening. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, having one system is actually really valuable and has it in itself. So I think we can apply that same thing to healthcare. Um, you know, I, it's a, it's such a hard question though uh, to solve because do I want the government oversight or do I want you know, or do I want competition and will that solve it? You know, I think we've seen in healthcare at least, and maybe it's due to the complexity of the healthcare data uh, the the market pressures aren't forcing interoperability so having a utility with some government oversight might actually be more effective you may, you may be exactly right john you may be exactly right and actually with that let's get to our sponsor for this week's episode yeah so uh we're excited you know it, it's great if you're just tuning in you're listening to healthcare id today with uh john lynn and colin hung and in this episode we, we you know we're a little selfish in our sponsorship but we're excited to share the expo.health conference which is the conference the health it conference that colin and i organize under the healthcare it today brand as well and this conference is really unique because we, we work hard to focus on the practical innovations that are happening in health IT. So many conferences focus on, on moonshots and what's going to happen five years from now. Expo.health works really hard to create a community of health IT professionals that come together to share best practices, insights, and resources with each other. Plus, we, we eschew the useless platitudes. I don't know how many sessions I've been to, panels in particular, where they just say the things that are all true they're, they're not bad but they don't actually spur innovation in fact we ask each presenter at expo.health to provide actionable takeaways so after you see this presentation what is that health IT professional going to go back to their organization to their hospital the health system their medical practice and implement a day to improve their security, to improve their communication infrastructure, to solve their IT DevOps problems, you know, whatever the topic might be, what are the things, actions they could take after they've heard your presentation or they've been to your panel? What can they do when they get back home? So that's really the goal of expo.health and and we hope you'll join us in Boston. It's at the end of July. Uh, you can find all the details at expo.health. We look forward to having all of you listening to this one down in Boston. It should be a lot of fun. And yeah, you're right, John. I mean, the one thing that excites me the most about Expo.Health is the fact that 
the last thing healthcare needed was another conference. And so we consciously make an effort to make this one different. Yeah, and I think it is really about community. Uh, that was, I think, the best thing out of the first uh, conference we held last year is they said it feels different. And that was my favorite compliment from them. It's like, I, I feel like I can actually share. I can I can work on my challenges rather than a lot of c conferences, which I consider kind of plastic where, oh yeah, we're awesome. We're doing great. Our portal, our patients love us. So, you know, it's like yeah. you don't solve anything if you'd go in with a plastic approach. So that's the goal. So back to our topic today, just a quick question for you, John, like so given the sure scripts, uh, you know, story, what does this mean for health IT? I mean, I think there's a number of meanings and I think we've actually seen the first one over and over now. And so if you're not clear that this is a problem and you're a vendor, then you might want to take note right now because that that's the FTC is legit going to regulate healthcare and health IT. Uh, we saw that with some of the work they did with Practice Fusion on theirs. The, you know, they had it. The, uh, I think ECW has gotten into some. I mean, the FTC, everyone thinks, okay, well, we got to deal with HIPAA and HIPAA disclosures. It's like, no, HIPAA is almost the least of your concerns. Sure, I mean, don't get me wrong. You have to do HIPAA as well. Yeah, yes. Otherwise, OCR will come after you. But, you know, the FTC, even the SEC in some cases, there's a number of governing bodies that go well beyond HHS, CMS, OCR that are going to, you know, look at what you're doing in health IT. And that's particularly true when you're taking government money which almost everyone in health IT has some sort of government money because the largest customer in the healthcare system is uh, Medicare. And so obviously they're gonna get involved if they see something that's inappropriate. So I think that's the first message. The other interesting thing that will be interesting to watch because a lot of the charges against SureScripts talk about the practices that SureScripts employed to try to narrow the market, the exclusive agreements. And I wonder if we're going to see some similar charges come against, for example, the EHR vendors for some of their contracting practices and the way they've restricted it. You know, I think, you know, it's not quite the same, you know, uh, legal talk, but certain things about sharing the interfaces of the of the EHR, even the anti-competitive practices, the inability to go work for for uh, other organizations. If you've uh, started working for one and some of those feel very similar, uh, not exactly the same because it's a little different, but I could see some of those things carrying over to many other health IT organizations including EHR vendors, and we could see a number of FTC cases against them as well. Yeah, and I'll just add in a quick, more broad statement here, John, to say that um, I think that what this is another reminder of is the fact that, you know, you, we had our cake and now we're dealing with the consequences, right? We, we, we got MU money, uh, you know, we have all Medicare and Medicaid there is a lot of government money in healthcare, and you're right. I mean, the government's going to take a look and see how that's spent and make sure that it's a fair and open market, as open as it possibly can. And I think in healthcare, we get so uh, focused on just the health aspects of it that we forget about the business side aspects of it as, a, as an IT organization. And, uh, you know, now this is another reminder that, you know, the FTC, the SEC, and these, these organizations that do actually have clout uh, and teeth, you know, are watching and kind of seeing to make sure that the money that they are spending essentially is going in the right place. 
So uh, I, I agree with you that I think, you know, this is another reminder that, hey, we do not operate in a vacuum here. Healthcare is not in a bubble <laughs> like the rest uh, that's separate somehow than other industries and other businesses. Uh, we're subject to the same rules. What's interesting to me is going to be what will the impact of these types of uh, charges have on new entrants into the healthcare market? Uh, a part of me see, says, okay, all these entrepreneurs that want to enter healthcare are going to see it and say, oh no, we should steer away from this because I want to avoid, you know, this is a complex system. I don't understand it. I, I don't want to do it. Or will they take more of the startup, you know, Silicon Valley mentality where it says, oh yeah, we can risk a lot. They'll slap our hands and then we'll move on and keep going, right? Uh, and I, I think if you look at, you know, uh, some of the uh, charges that have come against other organizations and health IT organizations, that's kind of feels like, hey, we pushed the envelope, we went too far, we violated it, we took our slap on the wrist, and now we're gonna keep pushing on and doing our business, and we're still billionaires or you know multimillionaires, and so I, I, I it's not clear to me which message is really gonna resonate with entrepreneurs. Is it gonna be that that uh, risk? Uh, you know, a model that says, hey, let's just take the risk and we'll take our lumps. And, uh, you know, once we have scale, then, you know, then that's just, you know, we see it actually happening. Like, what was the fine that was, you know, I, I heard, saw some people talking about the fine that Facebook was going to get, something like $3 billion fine or something. That was what people were projecting. And then someone replied, yeah, that's just their cost of doing business to take a $3 billion fine. Well, you know, obviously Facebook is a lot bigger, but let's apply that to a smaller scale. Oh, yeah, give me a $15 million fine. That's all it takes. But if I already have a billion dollar business, is that a problem? Uh, you know, it's un, it's a it'll be interesting to see which message resonates with entrepreneurs that enter. Um, you know, if, if you're a Google, if you're an Amazon, if you're an Apple entrance, yeah, I mean a fifty dollar fifty million dollar fine if you're able to create a billion dollar business. That's that's a small cost to incur. Um, and that, you know, maybe that's me being cynical. I don't know. <laughs> Well, let's end it there, John. Let's get to uh, our section four here. Some new, it's a new part of our uh, episodes, and that is we've pulled our uh, folks on Twitter, our friends on Twitter. We've just asked the public in general to kind of pose to us some questions via Twitter and via other social feeds that we can then discuss here on the program. So with that, we've we can apologize two. that we couldn't get to all of them, right? I mean, we yeah. had so many people reply. So, you know, if we don't answer them here on uh, on this episode, uh, we'll, we'll do our best to reply or include them in a future one. But it's a lot of fun. Thanks for everyone for asking. Yeah, thank you for everyone who contributed. So here are the two that we're going to cover today. So very quickly, uh, the first one uh, is from Jamie Tyen. Uh, what is the most overhyped trend in health IT today and what is the most underhyped? John, why don't you start? Yeah, I mean, we did a whole episode on this, didn't we? I think at least we had something similar. But, um, you know, the most overhyped trend in health IT today is probably, I would say, patient engagement. Uh, you know, I, I just think it's the wrong term. Uh, and, that, and that's what I think it just, it, it has no meaning anymore. So it, it's so hyped. I, I mean, you know, I probably could have put blockchain in here as well. I think blockchain has a place in healthcare, but it, it's super overhyped as well. So uh, between the two, yeah, I may actually give it to blockchain as the most overhyped. Uh, most underhyped, I think, 
you know, in fact, it's almost, uh, I mean, I think it's the trend which I combine all of them, AI, machine learning, data analytics, which to me has kind of become its own industry and certainly has plenty of hype, but I also think it has such extraordinary potential. And so for me, that's still underhyped as far as the value it's going to create. And it's already starting to create for some organizations. Hmm. Okay. Uh, for me, the most overhyped trend in health IT, uh, unfortunately, would be interoperability. I think there's a lot of hype around it, uh, and there's only pockets of actual improvement. We are getting better, but in terms of people using it uh, as sort of a blanket term, oh, we're interoperable. I mean, there's no standard, there's no nothing. So, you know, everyone can say they're interoperable when they only have 2% <laughs> of, you know, you only allow 2% access to the data. So I think that's an overhyped trend uh, that we, that we, a term anyway, that we overuse in healthcare. The most underhyped for me actually is all the stuff happening, happening with telehealth and with home health. Those are two areas that mm -hmm. I think are really exciting. Some really interesting things are happening there. Um, for home health in particular, where we're caring for patients where they live, to me, that's the biggest threat to traditional four-walled facilities. You know, instead of having to come into a bed and come in and be admitted, you know, why not take care of this patient at home? So, you know, the models and the the uh, the smaller organizations who are able to put, you know, docs in a car or docs on a bus and send them out into the into the community, I think those models are the ones that aren't getting enough attention, but that actually may make a big, big difference uh, in healthcare. Nice. So um, let's go. Let's move on to the second one. We're running out of time here, John. So the second one comes from our friend Amanda, uh, otherwise known as LA Lupus Lady. Uh, she asks, seriously, what do you prefer, patients included or everyone included? Wait, you didn't ask her boxers or briefs. Oh, there you go. First question. Her first question was boxers <laughs> or briefs. But we want to keep this. We want to keep this podcast PG. So you know, it's a let's. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I like the question, which do you prefer, patients included or everyone included? And we'll tie it into her other boxers and briefs comments, but let's just say when I think about patients, I like to have enough support. So, you know, make sure that the patients are supported, but that they're not constricted. You know, you don't want to constrict patients too much. So, you know, I, I think, you know, you can't demand too much of the patients. If you do, I think you burn them out too. So, you know, I think there's an interesting balance somewhere in the middle where, of course, patients should need to be included. And, you know, it's I think it's disgusting when a healthcare organization doesn't want to include the patient and doesn't want to have them as part of the care process. And so, so definitely I'd, I'd edge on the side of too much rather than too little. And I think we've seen that proven out with the My Open Notes and other stuff that it's a powerful thing to include them. And I think you also need to include other people as well, the caregivers. And we're seeing more and more trends that direction as well. I'll take this uh, question just in terms of the context of a conference. You know, these are two terms, patients included versus everyone included, that could be applied to conferences in healthcare. Um, I think um, patients included is the better term to use for now. And the reason why I say that is because uh, it's a trend that we, it's a, I guess you can say, an inequity that we need to correct. And right now, it's the inequity that people are focused on. So let's drive more patient involvement in the conferences. Let's make sure the patient voice is heard on stage and in the audience. Uh, and then we'll move on to the next one after we tackle sort of the patient involvement. It may be something else after that. And so to me, it doesn't mean that everyone else is not included <laughs> or that we don't care about everyone else. It's just that, hey, right now, we recognize that there's a gap. 
and we want to make efforts to include more patients in what we do. So I don't see patients included as a bad term. I think it's a great term for right now and because that's what we need. And with that, John, that brings us to the end of the episode. So thank you for all of you who tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. For more details about our show, please check out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com and share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com or on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening and have a great week.